Hey everyone, and welcome to Literally Just Airplanes, brought to you by Anchor.fm. And today, we are going to be talking about the workhorse, the engines. Tune in now to find out more. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. There's a lot to go on with this. You can make money from your podcast, no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Remember, your podcast journey starts here. Welcome back to the episode, and today we're going to be talking about the engines, the workhorse. So much to go around with, so much to talk about. Tune in now, and I cannot wait to talk more about it. So, really, the engines are a main contributor to the aircraft, of course. When you, when you see an aircraft, you see an engine, wings, the fuselage. There's so much to do with the engines, it's just fascinating. There's so much to contribute to it. There's so much that can go wrong, but the engines make up the entire aircraft, in my opinion. There are so many different points of the aircraft that, like I said earlier in my last podcast episode with the, en- with the wings, that can just really make this so much better. And that's why I'm going to be talking about the engines tonight. The engines are fascinating, and I have a link on here. There's an app actually. I'll have to send you the link for the app on here that actually discusses all about different types of engines. I'm going to start with some fuel injected engines that are going to be reciprocating and going to be propeller. Then I'm going to go towards the jets, the strong, powerful jets. Everyone wants to hear about the jets. But hopefully, some people want to hear about the basics of an engine as, as well and what goes behind and development of these types of engines. I'm not going to go into detail of how engines work or what parts go to an engine and stuff like that i'm going to be discussing the cool parts of it what airplanes these engines come from the sounds i'm going to be putting some sound clips of these engines in there try i'm going to try my best on that they might not be the best sounding clips because i'm literally using my phone as of right now because the engine clips are going to be hard to find and first of all there's going to be so many engines that are going to be mystery engines. So you're going to have to figure out what it is before I say it. It's a good game. So you guys, when you listen, you guys can hear and figure it out. So it, it, it plays a good spark in your, your mind when it comes to engines. So we're going to start off with the propeller engines, one of the most famous engines out there, the Rolls-Royce Merlin. So I'm going to say this engine first instead of making you guys guess or making other people guess because this is one of the most well-known engines out there ever made, especially since it has been on some of the best aircraft ever made as well. Here's a little sound clip of the engine, and it puts a very good explanation in how beautiful this thing sounds. Bear with me really quick here. Well, that's awkward. I accidentally put the, the text file on here. But the sound file, let's see if I can find the sound file.
the Rolls Royce engine, I swear, is is one of the most beautiful engines, especially because of some of the things that go on with it. You know. All right. You know what? This is not gonna work. So I'm gonna go back and try it again later. Uh, sorry about the inconvenience there for a second, but I'm gonna go over the Rolls Royce though and put some awesome pictures in on it because what a beautiful engine it is, and Rolls Royce has definitely made some awesome engines in the past and in the future but I want to see more of what the, what they come by you know I want to see what it, they look like and all this other stuff you know so it's I think it definitely helps out in the long run all right so we're gonna start with the Rolls-Royce as stated before there were 150,000 of these built used in so many different air airplanes the Avril Lancaster most of British Royal Air Force contributions including the Spitfire, the Hurricane, and the Mosquito. It had several mods to it and they were used in different types of military battles and de designations. The development started with early types and diminishing engines that started with the 45 degree angle to the cylinder ramp which are inlet valve areas and then they're going to start with the parallel view of the Merlin cylinder head which cuts open and is a beautiful nice little cut open to it. Personally, my favorite model of it is probably going to be the, the, Merlin, the Merlin 20. The Merlin 20 engine was redesigned with a supercharger on it, so it can be used in a Packard car. Yes, it was produced into a car engine. That blows my mind, especially since it used the 100-octane fuel and had different types of coolant mixes to it. A 70-30% water glycol coolant mix, rather than 100%, made it more efficient to cool. That's going to come very important in the future with coolant and antifreeze. When an airplane needs to cool off for a while, you either have air-cooled or liquid-cooled, which can be either water or coolant. The Merlin used coolant and air-cooled to cool the engine down when it's really hot. The main thing about the cylinders is they use, they use gudgeon pins. Gudgeon pins are types of, types of pins using the engines to actually float and used around the forgelings of the combustion chamber. It controlled the compression and oil control rings and made sure they stayed intact instead of coming apart. So it's a very important key part of the engine. Like I said, the Merlin had very, very interesting designs. I really like the way the ejector exhaust is. I'll post a picture on, on Instagram as well too where it's a picture of the Merlin exhaust cutout. It's beautiful. It's awesome picture. And you can, if you just look at it, the shroud itself is cut up into two different spots, so you can so it dissipates the heat and the exhaust through three different ports. It goes through the front, the second part, and the third part. More of it coming out the back, considering for engine back pressure. During tests, though, the 70 pounds force thrust at 300 miles an hour at roughly 70 horsepower was obtained, which increased the level maximum speed of the Spitfire by 10 miles an hour to 360 miles an hour which is ridiculously fast, considering that the earlier models did not have a supercharger involved. Having the AC Lovesea into the Merlin in 1946 definitely paid a bigger con contribution to Merlin. With the two-stage and the single-stage gearboxes being produced into the Merlin 1 to 3s to the 30 to 40 series, and then the two-stage, two-speed gearbox with an intercooler, mainly Merlin in the 60, 70, 80 series to 1946, increased sealing, fuel economy, and most of all, speed. This thing hauled. When I'm talking about hauled, it rated up to 1,175 horsepower in a higher altitude. Now, the cool thing about the, the Merlin is it was, it was definitely 
put into the next engine I was going to mention. I'm, st- I'm sorry to stick with the Royal Air Force engines, but the next engine it was mainly contributed with was the Hercules. The cutaway Bristol Hercules engine is definitely a beautiful engine. It was 57,000 were built. It was using the heavy stuff, so the short Sterling, the Bristol Bowfighter, and the Hanley Page Halifax. Yes, it was developed into some big boys. It was developed, but I think Merlin used this as a... It was alternate. It was an alternative to to the Merlin, especially since their Hercules was turbocharged and the Merlin was supercharged. Man, the Merlin was a was a beast, though. It had so many different types of carbs. It had so many different types of add-ons. It didn't use direct fuel injection, though. That was what's the cool thing was. It used the float control carburetor. The only issue with that is they could not they could not pitch nose down into a steep dive. It would put too much G-force onto the engine, cause the engine to crumble under pressure and possibly hydrolock. So I can go more in depth with the, the Merlin. Yes, it's one of my favorite engines, but I seriously doubt that the Merlin will be used is is the top 100 engines ever built. Yes, it's definitely the top five ever built. So it's definitely something that can be added to that list. Now I'm going to go down to one of my favorite engines. Yes, it's because it was used in two of my favorite aircraft, and it's German. Yes, that is the Daimler-Benz 605. Man, this thing was a piston beast. V12 piston aircraft engine. It was, of course, made in Germany, and the major applicants were on a BF-109 and a BF-110. There were 42,000 of them made. The crazy thing about this is that it was used on other other types. They were used on Italians used them in their bombers and they used them in their C205s. The J21 actually used a different design flaw for the Daimler Benz into their their fighter. Excuse me. The J21 had approximately 42,000 DB605s built for that Swedish Air Force. It's crazy that out of the 42,400, 400 of them were used with the Swedish Air Force. So, when we look at the Merlin and we look at the the beautiful made Daimler Benz, there were so many different types. Of course, the volume and the cylinders were different. The cylinder bore sizes were different. But the displacement went from 33.9 liters to 35.7 meters or liters. The engine was otherwise similar, notable in size, which was identical to 601. However, the weight increased to 700 to 756 kilograms. So you know that with heavier engine, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a beef. So it's going to lose in aerodynamics. Cool thing about this engine, though, is they use all Bosch materials in the engine. Yes, Bosch, as in the company Bosch, that makes your wiper blade motors. The same company that makes the, the hydraulic systems and elevators. Yes, Bosch magnetos and in firing twin spark plugs increase fuel economy and, and spark ignition. The fuel injection was powered by a pump supplying up to 90 bar, and the oil system used three pumps with a separate 35-liter oil tank. The supercharger was fairly advanced for the era, and that it was used the barometrically controlled hydraulic clutch, which is, if you guys do not know, is fluid coupling. I will go over these different types of terms in a later episode, especially since we can go in-depth with fuel coupling as it. This allowed the system to automatically compensate for changes in altitude, which is very important in these aircraft, especially since some of them were used to sneak upon bombers or go higher altitude to dive. The Daimler Benz 605 had definitely a major design difference from the other types of engines. Although the Daimler Benz redesigned the bearings and added oil slingers and their associated coolers, they used they were used to be calling sick engines because of the oil leaks. 
the oil would definitely seep a lot on these. They asked a lot of World War II engines that had oil leakage. But when it comes to oil, we didn't have to look into the different types of WEP and injections. Now, this is where this 605 becomes awesome, towards the fuel. Like the 601, the 605 was designed to run on B4 fuel with an octane rating of 87. In 1944, a series of newer engines was introduced, allowing the engine to run on 100 octane C3. Now, this is where things get awesome for my nitro junkies out there. Some of the boosting agent dispensing systems were methanol water injection systems. Yes, WEP. But some of them were used GM1 nitrous oxide injection systems. I, from being a huge Messerschmitt fan, I never knew that they used GM1 injection systems in this engine. The Daimler Benz 605 running, ran on w, MW50, saw power improved to 1,800 PS, which is equivalent to 1,775 horsepower on takeoff. With the GM1, it increased to 1,973 horsepower with no damage to pistons or cranks, which blows my mind to think that that deep injection was used for that. Now, the three engines that were mainly used with BF-09 G10s were K4s. Now, the G10 was the last model BF-109. As you all know, the BF-109 was used throughout the war, entirely on different fronts and different areas, in different weather. As though the GM-1 octane oxide was not used, it was still used in the later parts of the defending Berlin so the fighters can get in an attack quicker on easier targets. Yes, that increased fuel costs because of the fuel consumption, because of the power of the engine. And yes, if the airplane did get shot down, you're losing supply of the GM-1. Now, the different variants of the 605, there were plenty of different variants. Yes, a lot of the variants were garbage. They were definitely used on prototypes, and they were used in the field for mechanics to work on. There's so many different types. Of course, you have the 605A, 605AS, which was the prototype with the MW50, and then my favorite, the 610. Yes, everyone's like, why do you like the 610? Well, because it's basically the, the German engineers grabbed two 605s, geared, to, geared them together, and threw out a liter of 71.53 liters to work on a single propeller shaft creating 2,900 horsepower on 2,750 at, 20, at 2,100 meters. The issue with this is you're creating two different types of engines into one, creating different types of diagnostic checks and inspections. Yes, this was used both primarily for the Heinkel H1, HE-177, which was a high-range bomber, but at the same time, they practiced it on different types of Italian aircraft as well, such as the Fiat RA-1050 Tifone. Even though so many of these have survived, multiple of them actually have been rebuilt. There is only one rebuilt one, and that is a survivor Spanish model, Hispano Messerschmitt BF-109 G2. And it was actually, in a, and of course, Messerschmitt Foundation has one DB-605 in storage. The applications were used, like I said earlier, on used on most German and Italian and Swedish aircraft. So many different specs on this engine, and I love it. And I can go so much more in-depth on different types of World War II engines in that field. Now we're going to go towards the big engines, the jets. There's so many different jets I can talk about, but of course I'm going to talk about the GECF-6. Why am I talking about the CF-6? 
because it is on my favorite jet aircraft, the MD-11. The CF-6 turbofan is a brute. When GE made this engine, they wanted to make a high-bypass turbofan and use it on multiple-sized aircraft, including the C-5 Galaxy, the DC-10, Boeing 7-4, 7-6, and the smaller Airbus family. The one awesome thing about this engine is it powered a variety of aircraft. It's been used so long now, and it's still going to be continually used throughout a lot more of the service times. The CF-6 was tested so many times that they found so many different models on it. Now, this is where things got really cool with this engine. By 2018, GE had delivered more than 8,300 CF-6s. That's fascinating. And most of them were used for 747s, actually, and, DC and DC-10s and MD-11s, considering the MD-11s are used, maintained, and primarily for, for uh, freight. Now, there are studies, supposedly, that GE also studied re-engining re the Progress D-18-powered Antonov AN-124 freighters with, yes, with CF-6s. Man, I would love to see an Antonov 124 with CF-6s. I would go way in-depth with that, and I would love to hear that. Yes, people would be saying the Russians stole designs, but there's no such thing as stealing designs in this day and age. Everyone has the same type of thought process when it comes to aircraft. Yes, engineers engineer different type of airplanes, but everyone stole someone's design regardless. Anyways, this aircraft is supposed to be in flight for 75 more years. Yes, 75 more years because the because GE is making three, 30 different type models for this engine as a partnering with Antonov and with Boeing and possibly Airbus to create a stronger CF-7 and CF-8. The CF-680, which is using the A330, is creating so much growth that GE's already put more progressive load and deliveries on for it. So... I'm going to talk more about the inside and the part, part, different parts of the engine of this, the CF-6. Yes, I didn't talk more about the Rolls-Royce and Merlin. I know a little bit about those engines, but the primarily one I know the most about is the CF-6. We're going to first talk about the intake area, the inlet area of the jet, the fan section, the accessory drive section. These parts are huge. And if any one of you ever seen a 747-400 or MD-11 or DC-10 takeoff, they're pretty loud. Because they're sucking so much air in that the compressor section heats up so quick and pulls out exhaust. Yes, the jet engine's primary deal is to suck in air and create combustion and power and then exhaust. It's just like a giant turbo, literally a giant turbo. You got the inlet, which is the intake. You got the compressor and the combustion section, which is the power and the compression, and then you got the exhaust out of the rear part of the turbine. Now, the CF-6 has been used in a bunch of military stuff as well. So that's why the military is one of its highest bidders. It's got a 16-stage high-pressure axial compressor driven, driven by two-stage high-powered turbine. The combustor, yes, is annular. The separate exhaust nozzles are used for the fan and core airflows. This 86 0.4-inch diameter fan generates an airflow of 1,300 pounds a second, resulting in high bypass ratio. This is another reason why this, this takeoff power is at 41,500 pounds per engine. And this is another reason why cargo guys love it because it can take off with heavy weight. There are some undeveloped variants, though, that's pretty interesting in the history of the CF-6. The CF-6 was to be a lower thrust derivative of the CF-6-6 for the Boeing 75. 
The CF-632 in 1981 abandoned development of the engine, leaving the 757 engine market to Pratt, Whitney, and Rolls-Royce. I think that was wise of them to do that because they focused more on the CF-6 models into the DC-10 and the later 747 and MD-11 models. The CF-650. This was another undeveloped variant. The high bypass turbofan engine rated between 54,000 pounds. Yes, the CF-650 was supposed to be the brute. It was supposed to be the brute of the brute. It was launched in 1969, though, to the power long-range DC-1030, and was arrived at the earlier CF-6. Not long after this entered service, though, the engine was facing some really, really harsh competition between Pratt and Rolls. In late 1969, the CF-650 was selected to power the new, then Airbus A300. Air France became the launch customer for the A300 by ordering six aircraft in 1971. Now, of course, in 1975, KLM became the first airline to order the Boeing 747, which had the CF-650s in it. The engine is designated to the General, the GE F-103 United States Air Force Service on KC-10s and Boeing E-4s. The one awesome thing about the CF-680 and the CF-650 is they are derivative off the same amount of power. The CF-680, on the other hand, created so much power and thrust that they put two on a model DC-10 instead of the third, the number two engine in the top that created so much power that it threw off the weight and balance. The 80 series divided into three distinct models, the A, the C2, and the E1. The A had a thrust rating of 48 to 50,000 pounds. It powered two twin jets and it was used on the Boeing 76 and the Airbus A310. This was powered until early 1983 and it was rated through so many different types of hours. Despite having not as many time hours as the CF680C2, the pressure ratio raised from 28 inches with a bypass of 4.66 ratio. The static thrust is at 48,000 pounds, and the configuration is the same as the 50 series, but throughout more fuel economy. The C2, on the other hand, was the brute. The fan diameter increased to 93 inches with an airflow of 1,700 pounds or 790 kilograms through. The overall pressure ratio is 30.4 inches with a bypass ratio of 5.15. The static thrust is at 59,000 pounds. An extra stage is added to the low pressure compressor and a fifth to the, the low pressure turbine, which increased the different amount of size. That's also why the fan diameter had increased in size. Now the E1, the 80 E1 is the, the monster of the family. It was, of course, using the CF680 series fan, but the fan tip diameters increased to more than 96.2 inches. Yes, 96.2 inches. With overall pressure ratio of 32.6, the bypass ratio rose from 30.4 to 5.15 to 32.6 to 5.3. The 68 to 72,000 pounds of force competed with the Rolls-Royce Trent 700 and the PW4000. Trivia fact, the PW4000 actually replaced the CF680 on some MD11s. So even though Pratt, Whitney, and GE were definitely like the Ford and Chevy of jet engine producing and engine reproducing, they worked together on MD11s because they were both used in the same primary sizing of bypass and, oil and overall pressure ratios. Now, there were plenty of different inc incidents that happened with the CF6s. Yes, of course, the CF6 that crashed in 19... 89 in Sioux City that killed everyone on board, or the one in 1997 and the 2010 one. All these failures were a recommendation to increase inspections. Some of the parts were not being used, and the rotor disc imbalances were big, huge failures on this aircraft. Yes, 
almost every engine has pretty bad accidents and records. But the NTSB believe that the, the number of inspections should be increased on all engines, especially the 80 engines. And they increased the inspections to almost 3,000 cycles since new were last inspected. So regarding to this massive CF6 and one of my favorite jet engines ever produced, it was used on the A300 to the A330, the Boeing 74 to the KC-76, Air Force One, Kawasaki C2, Lockheed Super Galaxy, and all the McDonnell Douglas's big boys, which includes the DC-10, the KC-10 Extender, the MD-11, and the Northrop Grumman E-10. The specs on all of them, like I said earlier, were different. And I hope to see this engine used in different types and hopefully get the chance to actually see it in person. I have, seen, I have heard them in person and seen them in person, but actually standing next to him would be a different ballgame. The last and final engine I'm going to be talking about is one of the rivals of the CF6. And that is, let's see if I can find it. Yes, the Rolls-Royce Trent. The Trent is one of those engines that is well-known and very wide-known. A Trent produced by Rolls-Royce was used on the A330, the A340, the A350, the A380, the 777, the 78. There are so many different models of the Rolls-Royce Trent that they can be mashed down into different maintenance manuals as well. Of course, we already know the history about Rolls-Royce, so I'm not going to go too much into that. But I'm going to go more in-depth into the rivalry between GE and Pratt. When Rolls-Royce was privatized in 1987, its share of the large civil turbofan market was only 8%. Once this came out with the 777 with the RBT211, it started to focus more on to the Trent. The Trent engine is magnificent. I have seen, I actually have noticed that engine more than any other engine I've ever been around. Like its predecessor, the RB211, the Trent uses a three-spool design rather than the more common two-spool configuration like in the CF6. Although it's more complex, the engine is shorter and more rigid and suffers less performance degradation in service than an equi equivalent twin spool. The advantage three spools gives it the frontmost fan. Yes, it increases airflow, and then once that increases airflow, increases power. The large 116-inch diameter fan of the Trent 900 keeps the mean jet velocity at top, but the 777 and A380 needed fuel economy with size, and that's when the Trent, that's when the Trent came in. Trent is a very well-known manufacturer using different models for helicopters and aircraft alike. There's too many different variants. There's the Trent 600, which was the first one. And yes, the Trent 600 was used on the McDonnell MD-11 with British Caledonia at the engines to launch customer. It was used on major successors such as the A330 and the A3, A300 as well. Once the British and Royal Air Force needed to find out more information on it, they started ordering more Trents. The 700 was the bigger brother of it, using more on since 1980 and was certified in 1994. The Trent 800, which is the, the grandfather of them, the, the big, big brother of the, the 600 and the 700, increased the diameter fan to 97 inches and the fan diameter to 110 inches. The 8104 and the 8115 were used main is thrust rating monsters. At 104,000 pounds of thrust and 114,000 pounds of thrust, it has been tested up to 117,000 pounds of thrust and been used on the big boys 777s. The 777s are the fuel economy guzzlers. And instead of getting rid of them and putting them towards GE and Pratt, they focused more on Trents. Trent 500s and Trent 900s 
were mainly used on A380s and 7.4s. The A380 was used to success the CFM-56, especially since the European Aviation Safety Agency wanted a safer engine, especially since after the accidents of the CF-6. The Trent 1000 was announced to fly in the, tr- in the 7.8. Yes, initially Boeing considered the idea of sole source in the power plant for the 7.8. GE was the most likely candidate. However, though, many candidates and customers did not want the engine, especially since the safety ratings. Both engine types will have standard interface to the aircraft, allowing any 787 to be fitted with either a GE or a Rolls-Royce engine, which I always thought was interesting, especially since the pylon had to be fitted for both. In early 2018, of the 1,277 orders, 681 selected the GE and X, 53%, to the 420 of the 33% Trent 1000. GE still owns that rivalry to this date, but Rolls-Royce is definitely stepping ahead of the game with its new designs. So basically, I, I basically went in depth with four engines. The Rolls-Royce Merlin, the CF6 GE, the Rolls-Royce Trent, and the Daimler Benz 605. Those engines right there are my top favorite ones. Yes, I didn't go over any Pratt Whitney's. I love Pratt, but I, I don't really know as much more about the Pratt's than about the GE's or Rolls Royce's. There's so many different manufacturers I can go through with it, and I, I hope I nailed everything on the head for some of my aviation enthusiasts out there. If I messed up, I'm sorry. I'm still learning, but I also know a lot about this topic of conversation. If you guys want to c- talk more about it, then you can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook. I'll post the link on my my anchor.fm account on there as well. And I hope everyone here has a great day. I might not have my next podcast for a couple days now, but I want to make sure that everyone can hear about this episode. Check out my previous episodes of my wings and pilots versus maintainers. And I hope to talk to you guys soon. And you guys have a safe, awesome day.